Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Vitalist Spark Podcast. I'm your host for today, Sergio Paris. I'm the Director of Strategic Communications here at Vitalist Health Foundation. And if I sound a little different, it's because Marcus Johnson, your usual host, and myself are going to be sharing the hosting duties of the podcast. And we hope this gives you a different perspective from time to time. On today's episode, we're joined by Juan Salas, Director of Operations and Accounting with the Technical Assistance Partnership of Arizona, or TAP-AZ, as we call it here in-house. TAP-AZ is a fiscal sponsorship organization that provides back-office technical assistance to nonprofits across Arizona, but Juan will tell us more about that during the episode. Also on today's podcast is Nicola Winkle, Project Director with the Arizona Coalition for Military Families. They're one of the largest sponsored projects of TAP-AZ and are doing some really great work across Arizona to improve the lives of military members and their families. We hope you enjoy learning more. Juan and Nicola, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and your background and how you arrived at your current positions? Nicola, why don't you go first? So I'm Nicola Winkle. I'm project director for the Arizona Coalition for Military Families. My background is in nonprofit program development and implementation and my master's degree is in public administration. So I was part of the team that started the coalition in 2009. I am the spouse of a veteran. My husband, Thomas, served in the Marine Corps and Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm during the first Gulf War. And we were part of a team that basically did a statewide needs assessment and determined that one of the missing links was the connectivity between the military government and community in support of our military veteran and family population. So we established the coalition and I have been a part of developing it and implementing our initiatives ever since. What about you, Juan? You have an interesting story of how you got to Arizona and to TAP AZ. So why don't you tell us about that? Thank you, Sergio. Thank you, Nicola, for joining us today as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it was very interesting for me I'm Juan Salas, the Director of Operations and Accounting for TAP-AZ, and I moved from Mexico 10 years ago, seeking for new opportunities, and I found a very good opportunity here with TAP-AZ, working with organizations that they are doing great things for the community. This is a right example, AZMF with Nicola. We have this group in our platform, and they are doing great things for the community. I've been in this organization for two years. We have 70 groups in our platform. Most of them, they are 501c3 organizations. Others are solo organization, unincorporated organizations, but they are doing great things for the community. So TAPEC supports all these groups in different ways. Thank you for having me today, Sergio. Thank you both. Juan, why don't we begin with you? Why don't you tell us about TAP-AZ, what it does to provide services to nonprofits? So if I had a nonprofit and I needed fiscal sponsorship, what would that mean? And why would I need fiscal sponsorship as a nonprofit? Well, TAP-AZ born 20 years ago. And then this initiative, it was about the board of directors for priorities. They try to, to connect with the community and help organizations that they at that moment, they didn't have a guidance how to perform activities in the nonprofit sector. And we are focused on the back office. So that means that TAPAC support groups that they need assistance with accounting, with financial reports, other services like payroll, 
retirement plans, insurance, and also support groups with grants. We apply for grants on behalf of these organizations because TAPAC has the criteria to support all these needs for the grantors. So TAPAC, we have 70 projects in our platform that they focus in health and education primarily. We have a couple of ones that they focus in artists in the artist sector. We are not very familiar with that, but we are trying to learn about this sector. This is more or less TAPAC. Why don't you go through the sponsorship breakdown? There's three levels of sponsorship that organizations can get through TAPAZ, right? So there's comprehensive fiscal sponsorship, there's grant-specific fiscal sponsorship, and there's fiscal agency. So I guess if you can touch on what the differences are between those three, that would be great. Yeah, that's correct, Sergio. We offer three different types of fiscal sponsor support. The first one is the comprehensive fiscal sponsorship. This is a full, we call full because we cover everything that we offer in this type of sponsorship. The good thing here is that we can support groups, unincorporated groups, but also 501c3 organizations. So this is a real thing with this type of sponsorship because we can support a very small organization, one or two persons that they are doing great things for the community, but they are not incorporated. So as they, they wanted to be in the nonprofit doing things, we can support them with this. Under TAPAC platform, they can work in all these fields. And then this is a great, the great thing for the comprehensive full sponsor. Then the second one is a grant specific. And this type of sponsorship is only offered to organizations that they are 501c3. And the reason that we have this model is because TAPAC has all the criteria they need for types of benefits that they need to show to the federalists. And we have that. So we always support groups that they don't have this level, but they can get it with TAPAC. So TAPAC can apply for these grants on behalf and benefit of the organization. This is a great model for nonprofits that they are just get the status, but they don't have the budget, they don't have the experience, they don't have the single audit, and also they don't have a complete board of directors. We have all this, and then we can support this with this information. And the other one is the fiscal agency. This is very specific also to 501c3 organizations, but these organizations, sometimes they don't have an accounting system, they don't have a bookkeeper, they don't have a payroll system, and we can process everything through us and provide a service. But this is not a very common type that we offer. We have only three groups that they received a service with ABC. So it's a launching pad for organizations who might just be starting out and they don't have the bandwidth or the staff to really do those back office operations, like you said, whether it's accounting or payroll or HR policies and procedures, those types of things that may not be in place. And maybe some organizations would rather just have another organization who has more experience in that provide that for them. You guys are doing that. And I think we've had some organizations who have started on the platform and then They've eventually come to a point where they've realized, you know what, we're okay on our own. You've given us enough of a launching pad for us to sort of graduate and be completely on our own. We've had a few of those organizations recently just come off the platform, right? I think the ACES Consortium is one of those that recently did that. So it's great to see them moving on to their own, that they've had enough success and are able to take this within house. Yeah, this is one of the great success for TAPAC, that we can see organizations that they came with just the idea to do something and then ended with status, with a foundation, with 
policies and procedures, and they can run the organization. So they decide to leave the Tapesi platform to continue their mission. And this is great. Tapesi is also grateful to have all these groups here. Nicola, the reason you're joining us today is because ACMF is the largest sponsored project under the TAP-AZ platform. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what you guys do and learn more about what your work is doing to impact Arizona. Which fiscal sponsorship, the ones that Juan just mentioned, does ACMF fall under? Yeah, great question. We're fully fiscally sponsored organization, so we fall entirely under the umbrella of TAP-AZ and have been for several years now. CMF has been a fiscally sponsored organization pretty much since the beginning, within about six months of establishing the coalition. And part of the reason for that actually is as a result of Vitalist, which is we got some very helpful guidance early on from Vitalist way back in the day about using a fiscal sponsorship model. At the time, TAP-AZ did not have their fiscal sponsorship program in place, or we would have gone immediately to them. But we ended up with another entity. And for us, it did make the most sense, and it continues to make the most sense. It allows for focusing 90% of my time on our mission. You have all the infrastructure and support you need for anything you want to do. And even when you're a tiny, small organization, you almost can act like a bigger one because you have that infrastructure behind. One of the things we see a lot, because we see a lot of people who have passion and they want to start a nonprofit. They want to help their community. And one of the number one things I will recommend to them is to look into fiscal sponsorship, because I think people who've never worked in nonprofit before underestimate how much there is to do to properly run an organization. And you can end up running an organization and not fulfilling your mission if you're not careful about that. So for us, it allowed us to just get started, to have that infrastructure and support behind us. And the other reason that it's really a good fit for us as a coalition is that we exist solely to serve our community and our partners, our public and private sector partners. We don't have sort of a separate mission other than that. And so it's important for us to maintain neutrality in this space and to be that sort of neutral entity that can cross sectors and systems. And having a fiscal sponsorship and an organization like TAP-AZ behind us, it just provides another level of that neutrality because there is this whole operation. We have audited financial statements. We have all the things that funders and partners are looking for. And it supports everything that we need to do in order to fulfill our mission. Thank you for sharing how that partnership works. Now we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of this. What does ACMF actually do? Can you give the listeners an overview of ACMF? I know you mentioned a little bit your backstory and how you all came together, but I'm sure that was through a lot of collaborative meetings and figuring out what's the best way to serve the families of Arizona, you know, with very specific needs. Yeah. So the coalition were a public-private partnership and a statewide collective impact initiative. So we connect the military, government, and community, and we develop and steer forward long-term initiatives that impact our military veteran and family population. 
We launched in 2009, and we are one of the oldest organizations of our type in the country in terms of focusing on the statewide collaboration and support of this population. And then we launched our Be Connected program in 2017, which is our upstream prevention initiative that is a public-private partnership as well. I guess for the listeners who might not know, I mean, I think we all sort of have an inkling of what it means to be a military family. But if you don't have any military experience, like I myself don't, or some of the listeners may not, what does it mean to be a military family? And how is it unique and different from other situations? Great question. So we use the term military family very inclusively. In the military and veteran space, there are a lot of times where your status and specifics about your situation will dictate eligibility for different benefits and resources. But as far as the coalition and Be Connected go, we look at it very inclusively. So it's really any person who currently serves in the military or has served in the military in the past, and then their immediate and extended family and circle of people that are affected by military service. The military side, that includes active duty, guard, reserve, and then again, like everyone from people who served just a short time or a few years in the military, all the way to people who ended up being retirees. And then we look at families, not just dependents, not just spouses, significant others and children, but we also look at the impact that it can have on parents, siblings, extended family members as well. So it's a very inclusive. Nicola gave us a great overview of ACMF. Now we will dig a little deeper into their work to support military members and their families. We know for some military members and those families, coming back stateside or integrating back to civilian life can be a challenge. So we're going to hear a little more. How can people who may otherwise not be aware of how to help the military members in their lives, how can we be supportive to either veterans or current service members? How can we help them access services? I love that you asked it that way because what you just described is one of our goals, which is that we certainly want to reach service members and veterans, but a lot of times it will be the people around them that may be in the best position to learn about this and encourage it or be a person who would reach out with them or for them. And we want to encourage everyone sort of in that service member, veteran, or family member's life to be a potential open door to help them connect to resources and support. So the very best place to start that anyone can use anywhere, I mean, we've had people call from across the country or overseas because they had someone who's from Arizona or was coming to Arizona, so you don't have to be in Arizona to call. But the very best place to start is our Be Connected support line, which is at 866-429-8387. And this is a starting point for anyone and everyone to call. So service members, veterans, family members can call, concerned helpers or extended family members or coworker, you're part of a faith-based community, anyone in the community who is interested in helping someone they know or just getting more information can call that number. It's not a crisis line, so you don't need to be in crisis to call. You can call for any kinds of needs at any time. If they need connection to crisis services, that can happen with just the touch of a button. So it's not a problem either way, but we encourage people to call. We call like early and often, you know, don't wait until things have gotten down the road. 
to that crisis point. We're here for you no matter what. The other thing that people can do is participate in a military veteran resource navigation training. So we offer these on a regular basis. They're hosted virtually now. And it will provide you just, those of us who have not served in the military, it provides us with just a lens to look through, to understand that perspective a little bit more. We can never fully understand it, but we can have a little bit more knowledge that helps us to be that open door and gives us insight and makes it so that we're more equipped to help. So anyone in the community is invited to participate in those trainings. And you can find more about that at our website, which is connectveterans.org. Great. Might have to sign up for that myself and figure out how I can best help people. So let's go a little bit deeper into your programs. You've mentioned several times this Beep Connected program that started in 2017. That was part of a national grant that you guys received, right? If I recall correctly. Be Connected is actually Arizona grown. What kind of occurred is we have a history of suicide prevention with the coalition in that we worked very closely with the Arizona National Guard. From 2008 to 2010, the Guard here in Arizona had three consecutive years of the highest number of suicides they had ever had in the history of the organization. This is the height of the post-9-11 deployments. The stress on Guard members and their families was immense, and the sort of infrastructure to support them was really still under development. So this was a crisis. The Adjutant General at the time just said, I don't believe there's nothing that could have been done to prevent these deaths. So he spoke to a team and said, figure out what we need to do and we'll do it. And the coalition had the opportunity to be a key part of developing a program for the Guard that resulted in three consecutive years of zero suicides after that period of time. That was a unique moment in time, but it told us that it can be done. You can change and turn the tide on these situations. And that's important to believe that when you're doing this work. So fast forward a few years and the Arizona Department of Health Services and the Arizona Violent Death Reporting System came out with a report that showed that the risk of suicide and rate of suicide for Arizona veterans was three to four times the general population. Now, veteran suicide rates in Arizona have been more than double over the past decade. But in this particular 18-month period, it was three to four times the general population. And what that really tells you is that all the things that we had been doing, and I mean, we, just everyone, and that includes a lot of effort, a lot of good intention, resources, it just wasn't having the impact that we needed to. And we had several partners come together, including the VA, state agencies, the coalition, other partners who basically said, okay, what we're doing isn't working. Let's do something different. And we embarked on a year-long development process to say, what's our new approach that we want to take? And this aligned with some different things happening on the national level. So there was some national legislation around VA and community partnerships. The VA really put forth in their suicide prevention strategy that community efforts and partnership are essential. And so it was sort of in that climate that this was all established. But after this year-long process, we established the Be Connected program. And the idea behind it was to focus on upstream prevention, 
to focus on social determinants and to try to assist and support people before things devolve into a crisis situation. And also to expand the window of opportunity we have to prevent suicide. So not looking at suicide prevention as equated to crisis intervention, which historically has been where most of the effort has gone. But the problem with that is your window of opportunity is much shorter. And a lot of it depends on luck. Does that person call the crisis line? Is there someone around them who is trained? If we can expand the window that we can help people by going more upstream, it provides us more opportunity to hopefully prevent those negative outcomes. So we established Be Connected in 2017, and we knew from the start that this would be a very long-term effort. The coalition, I would say, over our lifetime has specialized in these long-term initiatives that are not things we're going to solve in six months or a year. It's going to take many multiple years because we're talking about how we do things. And to do that, you have to have partners who buy into that and are willing to support it and be a part of it over a long term. And we have been incredibly fortunate to have partners from the beginning of the coalition way back to 2009 who had that forward-looking and trusted the process to make these things happen. You can look at Be Connected as what we call our ecosystem of support. And so it involves these different layers. And in terms of sort of who our focused audiences are, you can break them down that way. So we serve military members, veterans, and their families, and we provide direct services of varying kinds to address the social determinants of health. And as I mentioned earlier, that sort of front door for that would be our Be Connected support line. We also serve organizations, so military, government, and community organizations. We provide training, technical assistance, partnership program, and we shepherd forward a lot of initiatives that cross over organizations and provide opportunities for them to engage. And then we serve individuals in the community who want to be better equipped as helpers to serve our military and veteran population. We provide the resource navigation training and other opportunities to advance sort of their role as a community helper. And then we serve systems. And really our role here is bridging the gap between all these different systems, developing and implementing cross-system and cross-sector initiatives, um, and serving as the backbone team in Arizona to move these things forward. And in a climate where the only constant is change, having an entity like the coalition is very important because you will have constant change in administrations, leaders of different partners. We have had dozens of changes over the years, and you can't start over every time that happens. And you'll see that in some other states where they will have a robust initiative, but as soon as, say, the governor leaves office, that comes to an end, and then you're starting over. And there's just simply not enough time, energy, and resources to start over every time. And so that's why from the beginning with the coalition, we really emphasize this idea of sustainability. And for us, that means that we can be a constant through that change and continue the forward momentum, even as we invite new leaders and partners into the effort. Now, there's a certain portion of your website where I was reading about the Be Connected Career Navigation Program. That seems to be part of the Arizona Roadmap to Veteran Employment. So can you talk to us about what challenges the veteran population is facing 
upon their return back home and why there's a focus on ensuring that employment permanence continues? Yes, absolutely. So we provide an array of services through Be Connected, the support line that I mentioned. We also have care navigation services, community outreach navigation, and a new risk reduction program that we're launching. But our career navigation services are some of the ones that, this is an initiative that we have had for the longest, going all the way back to our days working with the Arizona National Guard. That time period that I mentioned where the suicide rate was so high, there were two contributing factors that were identified as they looked at those suicide deaths and what the circumstances were. And those two factors that kept coming up were finances and relationships. There were National Guard units returning from deployment that were had upwards of 50% unemployment rates. And so you can imagine just the immense stress people returning. So on top of all the stress from returning from deployment, now you're not sure if you have an income to come back to. So that was really the origin of it and starting to work with Guard members and their families to provide support to them. As that progressed, we did what we often do, which is conduct a very comprehensive needs assessment. So we did that around the state and identified some areas of opportunity to focus on from a systemic perspective around military and veteran employment. And the result of that was launching the Arizona Roadmap to Veteran Employment. And that's really this umbrella initiative that focuses on career seekers, as well as employment service providers, so the whole sort of workforce development infrastructure that we have, as well as employers and engaging them to provide supportive work environments and then to recruit and carry affiliated employees within their workplaces. So now this initiative has grown. We have our Arizona Veteran Supportive Employer designation, which is a voluntary designation that public and private sector employers can seek out. And we provide support to service members, veterans, and family members. So lots of different situations. Sometimes we work with veterans who have been out for a while and are maybe ready for a career change. We work with many transitioning service members who are getting out of the military either from an installation here in Arizona, or they are coming to Arizona from that's their destination post-service, and then also family members. So that includes spouses who are stationed here with their service member, or again, spouses of veterans as well. And it's just such an important component of well-being and to and can be such a stressor if it's a problem if you are unemployed or underemployed. Obviously, that is a huge stressor and it can affect and have a cascading effect on the rest of a person's life. So we have a fantastic network of partners. One of the ones that has been the most exciting has been working with our military installations on a program called SkillBridge. And this is a program through the Department of Defense where eligible service members in the last few months of their military service with their command approval can be placed into civilian workplaces to do internships, to get exposure to the civilian workforce and opportunities. And during that time, their military pay and benefits are in place. So for the employer, they get the opportunity to welcome this service member into their work environment, to 
hosts them as part of the team. And then if it's a fit, you know, has the opportunity to offer full-time employment for that person, or sometimes they will end up in a different employer, but they've had that sort of introduction to the civilian workplace. And so our team partners with the military installations. It's the only program we're aware of in the country where we have this statewide partnership and we provide support to, to the career seekers and then also help them to potentially place into with our Arizona veterans supportive employers or other employers and provide support throughout the whole process to both the employers and the career seekers. So it's been a wonderful kind of evolution of that partnership and we're continuing to develop and pursue opportunities to improve career opportunities and improve how employers can connect with the talent that they want to have in their workplace going forward. It's great to see that it's worked out to be such a network and such a help to so many service members. Now, it seems like you guys really like your data. You know the importance of having data-backed and figuring out you know, where the gaps are, where the opportunities are. Talk to us about the Arizona Veteran Survey and what it does, what it has done, and when it was last released and when we can expect a new one. So the Arizona Veteran Survey, yeah, it stemmed out of, of our hope to get more specific Arizona data to inform our work. So we conducted this for the first time in 2017 and garnered over 5,000 responses in that first year, which is a lot for a statewide survey. So we were really pleased with that. And the idea was really just to be able to go directly to our military veteran and family population and get insight from them about what was going on in their lives, their circumstances. And especially across all those different social determinants of health, to better understand where people are at and where some areas of need might be. So the plan has been to, and we have conducted the survey every two years. So this will be our fourth time this year. And each time we do it, we refine it. And we've gotten thousands of responses. And it has been a really important tool because it can give us insight into what different segments of our population have going on. We've been fortunate to have a pretty strong representation statewide in terms of, you know, both not just the urban areas, but making sure that our rural communities and counties are represented. And that's really important because if you look at suicide risk and rates in Arizona for veterans, it's not uniform across the state. There are definitely areas of the state, certain counties, and especially some of the rural counties, where you have a significantly higher risk of suicide than you do in in other parts of the state. So it also allows us to see more into those segments of the population rather than just looking at our population as a whole. I didn't mention this earlier, but there are over 500,000 service members and veterans in the state of Arizona. And then you factor in their family members. It is a lot of people. And it is not just one big group in terms of, yes, they're unified by their military service, but 
there's a lot of diversity in there in terms of circumstance and demographics that need to be taken into account when we're providing services and designing initiatives. You said it would be your fourth time administering the survey. So out of the three times that you've already done it, what are some salient points that would stand out that the average person may not know, right? Like what are the issues that are most recurring in terms of veteran populations and their families? There were some really interesting things that happened for those people who are employed. We asked questions sort of about sort of their take on the future. How optimistic are they about their career? How equipped they feel to grow in their career? Do they have concerns about where their career is going or their ability to maintain their employment? And we definitely saw a shift from the first time we did the survey to the second and third, where there was a market improvement in those factors. And so that was interesting to see. It also gives us a lot of insight into full our, we look at things like whether people have had thoughts of suicide and also things like proximity. So if, if research has shown that if you know someone who has died by suicide, it puts you at higher risk. And so in the military and veteran population, because suicide rates are higher, it is not at all unusual for people to know someone who has died by suicide. And that's just looking at the military and veteran population. You know, obviously, when you look zoom out, it's even more people. So things like that are very important to know because can factor into somebody's kind of overall suicide risk. And a lot of what we're looking at now, going back to the you know, data is we've been fortunate to have grant funding from the CDC over the past four years to really look at how do we understand risk in this population? And then how do you action that when you understand it? And so part of our approach is looking at, with our upstream approach, is to look at what are the factors that put people at higher risk of suicide? And then what can we proactively do to outreach and engage those individuals and their families rather than waiting for them to bubble up in our system? What can we do? And so there are some things that we know. We know that being older over the age of 55 puts you at greater risk. As I mentioned before, there are certain counties in Arizona that have much higher rates than others. We know that from the Arizona Department of Health Services. We know that having a disability is a predictor of suicide, actually. So when you start layering these factors together, you realize that of those 500,000, if we can understand the risk levels of different segments, then we can proactively extend support. And that's really where we're heading, starting now, (laughs) pretty much 2023 forward, is we've been laying a lot of groundwork to build out our capacity and tools to do what we're basically calling our risk reduction strategy. And the idea behind this is that when you measure suicide prevention, it's to measure the ultimate outcome, which is reducing deaths by suicide. It's not generally something that people would measure year to year, usually like several year increments of when you're going to see change. And so what we need to know, how do I know today that what I'm doing is potentially going to impact suicide rates five years from now? 
And so this approach, this risk reduction approach is really about how can we reduce the factors that we know affect suicide risk? And our goal is then over time with the population, we're able to reduce suicide rates. And so those are factors. These are things right in the vitalist wheelhouse, increasing access to care, increasing access to support, improving social determinants of health, and increasing social connectedness. So those are some of the things that we're really going to be zeroing in on and seeing how can we be innovative and creative about how we extend support to our military and veteran community to help improve those outcomes. And our goal then is across the whole population to improve suicide outcomes. It's great to hear that you guys are shifting that mindset and trying to shift that paradigm amongst providers and the community who's helping service members and their families. So how do you share that out? You all have a an upcoming symposium, right? I think it's in April, if I recall correctly. Yep. So can you tell us about the symposium and what it is and how the audience can get involved? Yeah, absolutely. So our statewide symposium in support of service members, veterans, and their families. It's a two-day conference, the only statewide conference in Arizona focused on the military, veteran, and family population. And this will be our 13th year holding this event. We held it for 10 consecutive years until 2019. And then in April of 2020, it did not take place, obviously. And then in 2021 and 2022, we held the event virtually. So April 19th and 20th, 2023 will be our first time back in person in four years, which is something we're all really looking forward to. This is the one opportunity a year for our community to gather in person together and focus on how do we collectively strengthen how we care for and support our military veteran family population. So we have usually five to 600 people attend this event from all over Arizona and from every sector and system. So we'll have people from the military, from the VA, from state agencies, the local governments, faith-based communities, employers, the legal system, social services, and then community members, community members who want to learn and expand their knowledge or connect to more resources. And then service members, veterans, and their families are invited. A vast majority of the people who come have some sort of connection to the military, whether themselves or a family member, or they work in the field in some way. So we have general sessions where we get to hear from the leadership of our key partners like the VA and the state. And then we have 36 different breakout sessions. So there's something for everybody. All the social determinants of health are represented in that content. And we have speakers and experts and people with lived experience from across the state who will share their knowledge. We'll have an exhibitor fair with over 40 different organizations. So it's a great opportunity to expand your knowledge about resources and support. Overall, I think it just provides a chance to learn and connect. And the energy at these events is fantastic. And especially, I can't imagine this year when we're making up for three long years of being apart. We're all really looking forward to it. And you get to be in a space with hundreds of people who have a shared mission and passion. And there's something very powerful about that. 
It's great to hear that everyone has that opportunity. So you said it was April 19th and 20th? Yep. And I did want to mention that thanks to our partners and sponsors, we are able to offer scholarships. So we don't want cost to be a barrier for anyone to attend. So we have those scholarships available. And then especially for organizations that may be outside of the Phoenix area where you have both registration and travel costs, we want to be able to offset the cost of attending the event for those individuals as well. So all the details about the symposium are at arizonacoalition.org slash symposium. And there's everything about the event as well as the scholarship link as well. Great. Well, Nicola, thank you for joining us today. I'm going to finish off with one last question. What do you think are the opportunities that Arizona as a state has to better serve our military families and service members? So our ultimate goal is that there is no wrong door and no wrong person to turn to for help for any Arizona service member or veteran or family member. That's our ultimate goal. And the way that we do that is we engage systems, communities, organizations, and individuals to be equipped to be that open door. And we have many initiatives, many more opportunities to come to build our collective capacity to care for and support all who serve and their families. And our goal is to invite everyone in Arizona into this mission with us because everybody can have a role in this effort. And so we're here to support every person, organization, and community so that collectively we're taking care of every service member, veteran, and family member. Great. Amazing. A great ton of information. It was an education for me, honestly. Juan, is there anything else you wanted to ask Nicola or just want to add in general? Well, in general, thank you, Nicola, for joining us today. And I think ACMF is doing great things. And I know that for sure that you are going to be in this environment for the ODR resonance and veterans and families for a long time. And thank you, because without your thoughts, without your mission, these families, they never been access to these resources. So thank you. Thank you, Juan. And I do want to just say that, you know, we absolutely couldn't do what we do without TAP-AZ. I could not ask for a better partnership, better support for our mission. It really, truly allows us to focus on it and to know that TAP-AZ has our back at every turn. We've been able to grow as an organization under the TAP-AZ umbrella. It doesn't hold us back. It actually allows us to do more, I believe, than if we were simultaneously trying to run the entire back office operation that is required and to do the forward-facing mission. I think we would be nowhere near as far down the line as we are today. So I'm very grateful for that and really look forward to continuing to grow and flourish under the TAP-Easy umbrella. Juan, thank you for joining us today for this conversation. Thank you for the work that you're doing. On behalf of the entire Vitalist team, thank you. Hopefully our listenership will find this informative and learn more at ArizonaCoalition.org. Thank you. Thanks again to Juan Salas and Nicola Winkle for joining us on today's episode. If the services Juan mentioned are something you think may benefit your organization or an organization you know, the team at TAPAZ is more than happy to speak with you. You can learn more at www.tapaz.org. 
We also hope the conversation with Nicola Winkle was as insightful for you as it was for us. We know the veteran community and military population needs and deserves all the support it can get. You can learn more at www.arizonacoalition.org. There are also some links to resources in the show notes. Be sure to check those out. And as always, thanks to the team at Gordon C. James Public Relations, Star Worldwide Networks, and producer Rob Trigg for production and sound. If you enjoyed this episode, like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. You can also keep up with Vitalist on social media and sign up for updates on our website, www.vitalisthealth.org. Thanks again, and until next time.